Welcome to Rising Tide Startups, where today's most exciting solopreneurs share their startup stories. They also deliver tangible strategies that they would implement personally if starting their business over today. Each episode is a startup masterclass. Make sure you take notes. Take it away, Kevin. This is Kevin Pruitt with another episode of Rising Tide Startups. And my guest today is Steve Hughes. Steve, thanks for joining us on Rising Tide. Happy to be here. So, Steve, can you share a little bit about yourself to our Rising Tide audience? Yes. Uh, the most important things are I'm very good at parallel parking. Um, That's I important. Enjoy, <laughs> it's, it's actually, it's a gift. I, I've been on trips before. Where people have gotten out of the car, had me hop in, and then actually do the parking. So, I know cars do it themselves now, which I feel like AI is killing one of my coolest. That's right. You're, you're now obsolete. <laughs> what are you going to do? Uh, but that's important. I had to get that out. I didn't want to have that be kind of elephant in the room. Like people are wondering, how good is he at parallel parking? Uh, I just want to get that out, Ralph. Mark that, that question off my so, list. Um, no, obviously, I, I like to have fun. I, um, I've, uh, I live in St. Louis, Missouri, family, um, married 25 years, a couple of daughters, both very happily, um, wink, wink, uh, home from college, doing homeschool uh, because of the virus thing. But, but actually, we're all adjusting well, having a lot of cool times with, that we wouldn't have had otherwise with our, with our family all in the, in the nest together. Uh, most importantly, we have a dog, a wonderful uh, golden retriever, which is, uh, you know, probably the probably the best thing I have going on right now in terms of my uh, personal uh, staying at home uh, <laughs> uh, experience. Um, and then had a kind of an eclectic career, including advertising, a little stand-up comedy, uh, speaking, training, a whole lot of stuff that I can certainly get into that um, uh, happy to shed more light on. Well, I, I appreciate you kind of laying the groundwork for us. And, you know, when you mentioned Golden Retriever, we we have our family pet is also a golden retriever. He just happens to be a miniature version. And what? So, I know they even existed. Well, if you take a, a King Charles Spaniel and a golden retriever and marry them together, you get it's called like a comfort retriever or a miniature golden. So now how um, big are we talking? Um, cocker Spaniel, lanky Cocker Spaniel size. But does it, but it looks like it, but it looks, looks like, like a, a golden gold. looks like a red golden, but I uh, I made an a I accidentally as I was trimming him the other day a little bit to kind of get his summer coat on. I uh, hacked a chunk out of the, the fur on the back. So now he looks like a poodle. <laughs> so the poor guy <laughs> is probably going to oh self quarantine just out of shame. So yeah, I, he, oh, he uh, cool. will I never no let idea. me get near. So with, with clippers oh, again, awesome. I'm sure. So that's so cool. Yeah, he is a he's a great dog. But you know what? I I would rather talk about you and your experience because this is your show. But I'm wouldn't everybody? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've I've kind of looked at your bio and I've got a lot of questions. But I really yeah. just walk us through the whole idea of just how you kind of stepped into what you do. I'd be happy to. And this the the, the coolest thing is it's almost like looking back uh, over time. To, to what I'm doing now, it's amazing how each little piece came together. And at the time, I couldn't always see what I was doing or what I was adding up to. And that's why I would ever encourage entrepreneurs or folks like that to, um, to not get too frustrated about any one moment. But, but the, I'll give you my 92-second mm, uh, uh, background. Is, is basically, I was a French-lit European history major in college. Woohoo! Used it all the time. Uh, mainly when I go through uh, you know hotel lobbies, I can say, "Look, everybody, it's a concierge," and I can pronounce it right. Um, you know, with a real pot accent. And that's a, yeah. So um, and then I so very briefly between college and I did go to grad school. I 
uh, taught high school history for a year, inspired by a dead poet society. <laughs> Realized I didn't want to be a teacher, though. I love the teaching part, but, but the all rest of it was not, not my thing. Um, sold computers for, uh, for an IBM reseller. I did all sorts of stuff like that. Got an MBA in marketing in, um, a few years after that. And then the, the interesting period, I always say to folks, I had that 12 years of, um, if I can use an example from the Old Testament, if you will, you know, um, good old uh, Joseph was stuck in an Egyptian prison for, for 13 years. Uh, I call my 12 years in advertising just about as bad. I, I, just, I just didn't like it. I, you know, I kept thinking, like a lot of people, oh, it'll keep getting better. It'll keep, you know, okay, maybe I'll get that job. I want to get that promotion. I want to get that uh, account. You know, each thing will get better, and it never did. And then the, the thing that, there's two things that changed my life that made me who I am now in terms of an entrepreneur. Uh, one was a dare from a buddy of mine over Easter ham, of all things, where um, the, my brother-in-law basically, he said, Steve, you're a funny guy. You used to make you a nice guy, but you're nothing in my book until you do stand-up comedy. Just do five minutes of stand-up comedy, and then I'll, I'll, like, I'll appreciate you. I'll, I'll, and I was like, okay. I didn't know you don't always have to do every dare you get. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I don't like to brag. But I did go out to the to the comedy forum out in St. St. Louis, and uh, uh, for those five minutes on stage, I don't like to brag, but I was terrible. Um, it was it was awful. It just it was like most people. In fact, Jay Leno will tell you he bombed for a year. Like literally got up for a year. What about this? No laugh, no laugh. And he finally got there. But here's the thing: I kind of stuck with it. That was kind of fun. I was still working my day job. Didn't really enjoy it, but I kept working it. But I started reading books, getting in touch with people. How does how does comedy work? And then uh, I, I got in touch with a, a guy who wrote several books on it. And he found out what I did, and we developed a relationship. He said, "Hey, could we take some of your advertising and PR background?" Which again, I didn't like, um, and help me put on a comedy seminar because unless you're in unless you're in like New York, LA, Chicago, something like that, you, it's hard to break into comedy. Like it's, it's hard to, you know, people don't go to, no offense, people don't go to Topeka to make it big in comedy, you know, <laughs> yeah. but then what he did find out though, well, he told me that if you can work clean, like clean comedy, you know, not doing the, the sex jokes and dropping F-bombs, there's money to be made. And this was even, gosh, 15, almost 20 years ago. If you could do a half hour of clean comedy at say a, a regional sales event for somebody, you know, without 2,500 bucks without dropping a, uh, without thinking twice. And yet that same comedian working rough, working blue would do four shows in front of drunk people over the weekend at, at the chuckle hut in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, <laughs> living in a rat infested apartment. You know, it's like, you know, the, the math is interesting. So I thought, okay, this is fine. Here's one thing we learned, by the way, entrepreneurially, just for fun. We found out that um, comedians have no money. So uh, that, that was not a good target market to be a part of. We profited nine dollars. Thank you very much. You know, I made nine bucks. What's the day and, um, but here's the cool part: the 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 neatest. So the second thing that changed my life, not just the dare. The second thing was a buddy of mine, a uh, big, smart, fancy high school friend, went to Harvard Law School. Apparently, he must be smart. And he said, "Hey, Steve, I heard about your comedy seminar. Could you come up to our law firm over lunch one day, and make all of our lawyers funny?" And I was like, okay, I'll also, I can make them taller and I'll cure cancer and I'll do cold fusion. Um, what else do you want me to do? Perpetual I'll motion. I'll understand my mind's wife or my, or my wife's exactly mind. Right. <laughs> Ex exactly right. Yeah, I'll figure out the mind of the, the teenage brain. I mean, I'll figure it all out, <laughs> all the mysteries of the world. But, um, but, but the cool thing is, I, I said, well, what do you really want? What do you need? Like he said, well, here's the thing. We're super smart. We're good at what we do. We're at this high powered law firm, but we're not that good 
at connecting with humans. Like we're not that good at, at, uh, at taking our, our wonderful knowledge up here and our insight on the law and helping people you know, feel good about how we're yeah. doing it and, and making relationships and business development. It's okay, I'll see what I can do. So they paid me nicely, flew me up, put me in a hotel. Um, and I, I did it, I, they handed me a check. I can't believe someone paid me to, to, to flap my jaws for, for an hour and a half. I, I mean, I just, I, I thought, is it a real check? You know, <laughs> like the old days they'd buy the coin. Like, right, you'd buy it, exactly. You know, um, and I came home and I said to my wife, I said, honey, I said, um, if, you'll, if you'll take a gamble with me, and this is huge, I know it's, it's very important to have a, a supportive spouse, partner kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I said, hey, if, if I did enough of these, we could easily pay the bills. We could make this happen. Um, I didn't know how hard it was to get started, but still, um, I just didn't know. Uh, uh, I didn't know that existed. You know, I didn't know. So then that I then literally quit my job. Um, gosh, quit my job just a couple months later with one client, and uh, became the speaker, trainer, entrepreneur, consultant guy. You know, and that now this was, was one client with one gig, or one client with kind of an, a recurring gig. One client, one gig. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I thought it'd be so easy. And then actually, and it's very cool. And here's the thing I say to people all the time that I'm sure you've heard a million times on your podcast and elsewhere. The number one business accelerator, dare I say, learning curve shortener, um, almost like, you know, they call it folding time or folding space. Like, you know, mm -hmm. the quickest way to go from here to here is not, to, it's actually is to fold the paper was the relationships I had. And that's where I was talking about all the things that were the little, little crumbs sure. and pebbles that were out there. So it was actually this one friend that invited me to speak the first time, then two other high school buddies and, and a couple other folks I just knew just, hey, who do you know that dot, 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 took them out to lunch, took them to coffee. And it was easy. I wasn't hitting them up for business. You know, that, that's tough. Like, hey, would you like to buy an aluminum siding? You know, <laughs> I just said, hey, who can you pass me along to? And they're happy to do it. And yeah. it's those things that I think really, really made the difference between me making it. Because my wife right. and I said, hey, if it doesn't really hit after a couple of years, you know, we, we got to feed our kids and whatnot. I would have gone back and gotten a job, not in advertising, sure, but I would have gotten a job somewhere, you know? Yeah. So, um, well, but, I, so I wanted all to ask those you, things I said before, so good. Go, no, go ahead, finish, finish your thought and I'll ask, I'll I'll ask you just, a follow-up so All question. those things, like the people I met in teaching, the people I met selling computers, the people I met in business school, the people I met uh, even in advertising, clients I had, people, whatever, all those folks became my my channel to to make it happen. So literally, if I've been one of those folks, I know entrepreneurialism is is a new thing now. And if you haven't made it big by thirty, you know you're you're an old man. I'm an old man. <laughs> um, but had I not had those twelve to fifteen years of of just regular business and business relationships, and also, I mean, I, I got to credit God on this one that I wasn't a chump to those people. I mean, mm, I was just a, yeah. I was a nice guy, you know. Yeah. But um, there's no bridge burning. So when it came time to pick up the phone or send out that text, uh, they're usually pretty easy reach outs, if you will. I, I wanted to just circle back with you real quick. You, you kind of kind of breezed over this, this, the idea of when you, when you stepped into it and you, you started doing, you know, your initial, your foray into comedy and you felt like you had kind of almost bombed, you know, that first, that oh. first attempt. But so, something caused you to come back and try that again? Was it, I mean, I, I, the two big things I think would either be just the challenge of, I am, I am just bound and determined to do this, or maybe it was, it was somehow inherently in your blood a little bit and you had just kind of, you know, unleashed the crack in there. So was it, was it either of those? Was it some combination of that or was it just, 
blind faith? I mean, what, what caused you to, if, you know, most people, when they hit that first obstacle, they would quit, go back to what, you know, safe Island and, and just land. But what caused you to yeah. keep pushing? Well, I have, to, I have to tell you something. So my wife and I had a bet, like how many minutes into the, into the podcast interview would the word Kraken come up? And I won because the over was 12 minutes and uh, I got it. So anyway, I'm just kidding. I love the Kraken. That's, that's a great, uh, great analogy. It is. Actually, it's a, I'd say it's a combo. One is, so a um, little more info. So in high school, you know, a lot of people get most likely to succeed or, you know, nicest guy or best smile. I got, um, I got class clown, you know, so thank you very much. Um, but I've always been kind of, my, yeah. yeah, my main thing has always been kind of being funny. And I was the kind of the guy at the party to make people laugh and that sort of thing. So in some ways, when I wasn't funny, it really ticked me off. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. I know I'm funny, but, but what I didn't realize, and a lot of people who try stand up comedy will recognize what makes someone good and quick and funny is just, I'm reacting to something you brought up. For I'm sure. not sitting there and suddenly now it's you and a microphone. You have to do the setup and, uh, what's the deal with politics? You know, you have to mm -hmm. do your own kind of setting it up. And it bummed me out that I couldn't, I couldn't have been, I can almost guarantee if I went to a party, I could probably be funny at least at some point. What made me mad was I couldn't just show up on command and make strangers laugh. I and mean, I was like, plus the other thing is they're primed. You better make me laugh. Like they're kind of almost like sitting like this, like, yeah, it's a challenge, you know? So, so I didn't want to give up that quickly. And I also thought like, okay, I, you know, um, Maybe if I try a little bit more, I can make it happen. So, uh, yeah, I, I stuck with it. Um, and, and that's why I'm always amazed when you read about people like a Chris Rock or, or even like Dave Chappelle, these folks who start out really young, almost like in high school, even on college age, that they're out there. And a lot, you know, a lot of comedians do it really young. And I just wouldn't have had the wherewithal. I mean, part of it was I was in my 30s by that point, And I thought, okay, I, I was, I'm tired about caring about stuff. I was on my way to being Mr. Bald. Like, you know, I, I was a dad, like what, you know, Oh, you know, I'm not cool anymore. Like, was I ever, I mean, I don't know. So uh, <laughs> I've got teenagers at home. I mean, what more could you throw at me? I mean, exactly. You know, right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What else you got? So, yeah. That's, um, it, it that's, a a challenge. that's exactly right. I, I love the way you, you kind of frame this, this whole idea and it, this has happened so often. I mean, we've had, you know, 150 plus, interviews here on rising tide and just the idea that nothing is ever wasted kind of in in the economy yeah. of your life i mean so many things it's like this this beautiful mosaic that's just being built over time to to until you finally discover you know this is what i was created for this is what right. i you know this is this is who i am and and you know and when you when you find that and it obviously you have found that I mean, it really does, and I don't want to be too trite about this, but it, it almost seems like it's, it's no longer work. It's almost yeah. like I'm just kind of walking in, I'm, I'm just walking in my own shoes for the first time in my life, you know, so to speak. So walk us through the kind of the whole, I guess, trajectory up to today. Um, of, you know, once you started, you launched out on your own, you, you were trying to book some speaking gigs and that type of thing. I mean, yeah. obviously it was just a big right-handed hockey stick curve and you've, you've never looked back and you've always booked clients. You've never been worried about it. And you, yeah. you turn people away now in droves. I mean, what, what walk us through exactly. that? Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. It's, um, I no longer have bad breath. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. I've never had a grown back. <laughs> exactly. No, the, so here's the thing I realized, and this is something that I, that I talk to people all the time is, is there's that, um, and I struggle with this, this mentality all the time. I kind of, it's, I, I 
have struggled with for years and still do kind of an all or nothing mentality. Like even mm -hmm. let's say from eating perspective, I'll, I'll vacillate between I'm eating nothing but a wheatgrass and tree bark or I'm eating Oreos by the sleeve. You know, it's like, it's, uh, you know, <laughs> no it's, middle whereas ground. life is really meant to live, uh, lived in the tension between the, the, the middle, you know, it's, it's not one or the other, this extreme. So I'm very fortunate and, and I, I wasn't too high or too low on myself when I first started out. So I, so kind of, again, I was knocking on every door. People don't want to usually hire um, untested, unproven, unvalidated speakers. Uh, but again, the people I knew would, and that was cool. But I also connected with a couple of, of training outfits, one in New York, and not outfit like, you know, put it on, but like yeah. an organization, sure. clear. Um, so a training organization out of New York and one out of St. Louis, where they actually provided clients at a much reduced fee. Mm -hmm. But all I do is they'd call me up or send me an email. Hey, can you be in, uh, you know, Buffalo, New York next week? Sure. And then I would often, I would, for one of them, I trained on their material and the other one I trained on my material. So, so between those two companies, as well as the ones I was bringing in myself, I didn't really care. And there was no pride involved. I didn't care if I had to, had to, again, work with and use other, other people to help me get my, my gigs. Cause the other cool thing is I would, I would go speak, let's say at AT&T is one of them. Yeah. I would go and speak on their behalf AT&T, but I spoke at AT&T. I can now mention, Hey, when I was at AT&T, you know, that, that would, that kind of stuff was right. huge. Oh, even at AT&T, they mm -hmm. didn't say, well, who was it through? You yeah. know, I mean, no one cares just, you know, and it was all legit good stuff. Um, so, so to me, yes, that was not a, it was, there was no hockey stick uh, of goodness. There was, it was a very slow kind of build, but then things really, it's funny, things really heated up. I had a fantastic year in 2008. And if you can remember back. What happened the right after that. <laughs> yeah. Hmm, yeah. What happened? But here's the cool thing. Again, this is, I'm, I'm a very spiritual guy. It'll, it'll come out that uh, I really believe in God's provision and his direction in my life. And I, I was actually very fortunate through, through one of those companies I work with, I got a, this, um, this contract with the Department of Defense. And one thing that the Department of Defense did throughout the recession was they kept spending money. You know, so um, I got to go and go, in fact, I've got to go out to Pearl Harbor and train at Joint Base Pearl, which is kind of mm, cool. So wow. I had to go all over the country and train these many civilians, but also um, uh, you know, enlisted folks um, in communication, presentation skills. That was kind of my main thing. And um, so, so even during those lean years, we had to tighten up a bit, uh, I was able to kind of come through. And I'd say probably since maybe 2011, 2012, I've severed relationships. So it's been me 100% since 2012. And again, um, the hardest thing for me, like you said, the up and down is, is for me, I, is to not freak out any given month or two about, oh my gosh, income looks really low, is to look at least by quarter or certainly by the year. Okay, maybe... Right. Maybe usually my summer is pretty strong. July is usually a good month, but maybe this year July is not that strong. Well, don't freak out about July because how's my August? How's my September? Sure, you know, sure. that sort of thing. Yeah. And I so, think the number um, of years will help you kind of, I mean, as you look back, I mean, one year history is different than looking back at a 10 year history. Exactly. You know, and to right. see the trend, exactly how, right. how these have worked out, so to speak. But, right. So you and I are hopping on an elevator. We're going to go up 10 floors. You got about 45 seconds. Give me your very best elevator pitch. I'm a business owner. What can you bring them to the table for me? Well, here's, I'll tell you just for fun as a little caveat. Um, I'm a big believer in elevator conversations versus elevator pitches. So my elevator pitch is about eight seconds. Uh, feeling that, and then it's supposed to lead to more things. So if, so if we're in an elevator, we're heading up, up 
couple of flights. We can chat about the Cardinals for the rest of the time if you want to. I mean, it's, it's exactly right. Exactly. <laughs> it's boring. Hey, what about, how about them Cardinals? So, um, but people say, Hey, what do you do for a living or what do you do or what are you up to or why are you here? I, I basically say this, I say, uh, I help people look and sound smart when they talk. And then I shut up and then, then you get out on the second floor. <laughs> exactly. And we're done. Thank you. That's my time. So, but then I've, I've, I've kind of stumbled on that line in 2009 when I was actually a bunch of around a bunch of other um, presenters and speakers like myself. And it was hard to say something really sexy, but I discovered that by basically is going to a, a huge, um, a, a huge, well, is that a conference going to a huge, um, you know, plenary session and all these people were, were, they were speakers, they were trainers, they were doing leadership, they're doing presentation skills, all sorts of stuff. I had nothing unique to tell them. So I'm riding down the escalator and I realize every time when someone would say, what do you do for a living? Well, I deliver presentation skills and, and lead development training for these kind. no one cares. I just said, I help people look and sound smart when they talk and I happen to shut up. And since that moment in July of 09, every single time people will respond with, well, what do you mean? Who do you do that for? How do you do that? Then I go in and I'll say things. So my quick answer is I, I spin around back to them. Well, well, where do you work again? And then they'll say, oh, I work in real estate. And then I'll say, do you ever give presentations? So I make this whole conversation about them. But uh, my outbound marketing, because I can't market everybody, has mainly been legal. It just happens to be from that very first law yeah. firm, um, just firm after firm. And it's a weird thing. Once I got labeled by a few, or not labeled, but once I got in with a few huge firms, then everybody loved me. Like once you're big in with Latham and Watkins, oh my gosh, you must be awesome. Yes, I'm awesome, but I'll take whatever you got. Um, but then, I, and I, and then they'll say, how do you do that? Do you do one-on-one? -on -one? Yes. Or do you do small group, large group? And so, so it, it, as I unfold all that, like if we didn't have a chance to do this whole conversation, that I basically help people uh, communicate more effectively. They don't care how I do it. They just want to know at the end of it, will I make more sales? Will I connect more with people? Will I be more influential? Will I feel more confident? What do I do when, when something goes wrong during a presentation? You know, so, so all that stuff is kind of what I talk about. And, and um, so outbound, again, I, I focus mainly on legal market and legal associations, but inbound, I've very, I'm very strict on who I'll work with. They have to have a budget. Well, I guess that's it. If they have a budget, I'll pretty much work with them. They gotta have a face so, and a heartbeat and other things. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Real high standards, right. Yeah. So I, I read somewhere where I, you, I mean, you've done over 800 plus, I guess, presentations yeah. or, or chats to, to yeah. groups. So can you, can you just kind of recall out of the recesses of your mind? I, I'm really curious, maybe the, the very best moment that you can ever remember being on stage and maybe just touch on really briefly, like the very worst moment. Start, let's start with oh, the worst one and let's end on something good. So what's the yeah, worst experience okay. you ever had? Okay, worst moment. This, this is off. You don't have this to early name names so. or anything. Yeah, <laughs> I don't mind naming it. Well, it's a, it was a large financial house. Um, uh, that I guess at the time they were based in St. Louis. It's not Edward Jones, but um, this is <laughs> through a friend Edward of a friend. This is school. A friend of a friend in business school that, and this is an unpaid gig, but I got a chance to go in and, tr and, and talk about how to add humor. Basically the same program I did for the law, law firm, the lawyers, just, you know, months earlier. I now did for people who were professional trainers within this big financial, like these people would train incoming financial advisors and stuff. So I stupidly, even though I wasn't advertising for 12 years, I didn't think about my audience Did the exact same program and they found it way too uh, pedestrian. They found it way like, yeah, we already knew how to 
add humor. Like you didn't tell us anything we hadn't heard of in, in training 101. And I even got feedback from the, from the guy, the friend of a friend who was like, yeah, thanks for coming in and making me look like an idiot, you know? So um, it, it just, but everybody has to have a bad one. You know, it's, it just yeah. was a, um, I also, by the way, I focused way too much on me and my personal story. And I realized, Hey, you know, if you're, if you're Tiger Woods or you're, you know, you're someone pretty cool, and you're Brad Pitt or you know, Pickett, doesn't matter. You're someone pretty famous. You can talk about yourself forever. If you're an unknown, but a regular nice guy, uh, I just find people don't really care about you. In fact, I'm thinking about writing a book called No One Cares About You. Um, and I mean that in the best possible way. Like, like they're more worried about themselves. Kind of How thing. to leverage that I mean, in that's business. Kind of one of the worst. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, exactly, right. Um, in fact, a different financial house real quickly, Edward Jones. This actually was I heard about at a friend's wedding in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, of all things. They did a quick study. Uh, well, not a quick study. A big study of all their offices. And they, at the time, had like six or 7,000 local offices. And they found the, the best Edward Jones agents, um, the most successful, were not the ones who worked the hardest, hardest, not the ones who had the best scores on their, their examinations. The number one thing with the best ever uh, financial planners were for every minute they're on the phone or face-to-face -face with a client, they only speak about 14 seconds out of every minute. Now, it's almost like a no-duh, the whole classic, two ears and one mouth, use them accordingly. Yeah. But it's just amazing. So, so when people just would listen and, and be heard first, then when they unleash their, their insight for those 14 seconds, you know, it would be great. So anyway, so I, I did the opposite. I thought, let me just tell about myself and how good I am and all this kind of, and people just didn't care. So that was all the worst. The best, it's funny. Um, I'm torn between the best. One real quickly, I spoke at a women's conference. Thank you very much. Uh, which by the There's way, there are all sorts candy. of people saying, why is it leading a women's conference? I was like, I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't, I guess I didn't pick myself, but the person called me and gave me money. That's the first place I got a standing ovation, which was pretty awesome. It was wow. up in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. But, but that's, that's aside. The best one, oddly enough, was any speaker or trainer will tell you, that, um, she or he will tell you that anytime you do a new topic or a new, a big thrust of a keynote, or you have just, I've, I'm really knowledgeable, I've never done this particular talk before, like anything, it doesn't go that well. I mean, it, it goes okay, it, it's all right, but it's like learning to ride a bike. You, you, you fall over 50 times and then you, then you figure it out. So this was, gosh, only just a couple of years ago when um, I should have mentioned for the past five years, four years, I've been doing improv comedy. So I start with, with stand-up and I do improv. So I've been doing improv on the side. That's been a lot of fun as a part of a troupe that I did at my first ever improv-based program, which is because which, I was with a client who said, we've done everything you have. What else you got? And I really had nothing. So I said, oh, I got a great new program. You'll love it. I'll, I'll, I'll see you there in a couple of months. Um, it's called the, After uh, I write. the Power of Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I was making it up. I just, I was like Bill Gates. Like, yeah, I got DOS figured out, you know, and then they basically sold it in and they had to go figure it out, right? Between the time they promised it. So I got up and did this program called The Power of Yes, which is basically how to use the key principles of improv to, to live a more fulfilling life, but also have better teamwork and all that kind of good stuff that, that improv allows you to do. Not silly yuck it up, but truly mental discipline of how to look at situations and always look for the positive, add, build, et cetera. So again, I was super nervous, uh, scared me to death. Even though these folks knew me, they'd know me from my programs I'd done a million times. Yeah. This is someone I'd never done before. And so I gotta tell you, um, while I didn't garner a standing ovation, it was probably the, one of the best, just I felt like Steve Hughes in his element, doing mm -hmm. the right thing, all the stuff ever brought together, all the things from high school, all things that yeah. made me you know, the class clown, all came together in this beautiful business focused moment. 
And I thought, oh my goodness, I cannot believe that that went so well the first time that I finally felt like I discovered my, my thing, you know, my, my back from what city slickers, you know, what's your one thing, yeah, you right. know, which is a great reference from the early nineties for, for the younger people. Um, sorry <laughs> yeah. about that. Google it. Millennium. So, um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Boomer. Okay. Xer. I guess I'm an Xer. So, um, what oh. can you do? So that was, that was my really highlight. And that just meant mainly, you know, the, the cool thing about it was it meant that I stumbled onto something that was, really I, I needed a new chapter when i was delivering and to have it go that well and, it, and each speech has gotten better from that so um it's been sweet well i, I mean I, I really appreciate you kind of walking us through that that you know their timeline over the last number of years and just uh, i really wanted to just once again reinforce your whole idea of this idea of looking back and and looking at trends versus i mean it's, it's like looking back at, as a movie not as a snapshot you know right. of a specific time but and nothing could be more important, you know, to do that right now than in the midst of this, you know, COVID-19 coronavirus that, that business owners are facing. And I would, yeah. I would love for you just to take a minute here and just as we're wrapping up, I want to honor your time, but as we're wrapping up, just speak to just business owners and give them two or three, you know, especially early stage business owners, give them two or three uh, points that, that you use to kind of, you know, keep the keep the keel straight in the water type thing even in the yeah. midst of a storm and what are what are two or three just foundational steps that somebody could really sure. hang on to as you know hopeful hints type thing yeah absolutely so i'd say and these are straight out of my so you teed that up beautifully ding, right over the plate <laughs> um for uh for these principles in this in the program that i have that uh, that since become name i name it it's called unflappable and that's the name of my program. So, so look what the word unflappable means. It, it means not easily perturbed mm -hmm. or upset or derailed. Uh, 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 means unusually calm, which is interesting. And the word's only been around since the 50s. I was so surprised that that word not been around. I mean, Shakespeare didn't say it's unflappable, you know, just whatever. But um, one of the key things is, is you turn mistakes into gifts. And I mean, gift with a T, not a gift like a computer image. Right. Um, so, so you look at some of the best inventions ever. Really, inventions are even carving patterns into baseball outfields came from a scheduling mistake at Milwaukee County Stadium. They they did a concert on several nights in a row during a, during a a an away trip, um, a road trip, and then the field was decimated. And the um, the the greenskeeper said, "Hey, can I play around with the cutting height of the deck and the geometric pattern?" They basically hid it. They hid the damage to the point where the Yankees, when they came in to visit, they were in the American League back then, uh, the announcers were saying, my goodness, you all should see this, this wonderful outfield. This, what a beautiful stadium. So, so always look for ways to say, okay, I may have screwed that up. I may have messed this up or this didn't go well. Instead of, instead of doing this whole thing, we, can, we start to blame ourselves. This is stupid, this is idiotic, but say, hey, was this kind of a one-shot deal? Um, were there extenuating circumstances? Um, is this permanent? is this changeable is this pervasive like like yeah. what what could be different so that's that's item number one the other thing is the classic i call it accept and build but improvers would call it yes and in fact here's our little button up here are we going to read this um yes and yes right? and yeah so um yes and but but the, the simpler way to say it in my opinion is accept and build um there's a fantastic a couple of great ted talks you can look them up like the the traits of, of of the most resilient people out there and one of the traits of resilient people is they accept reality for what it is um instead of being so frustrated by and getting mad at, at and not accepting reality that actually holds you back so 
So when I say accept and build, whatever my scene partner does, like, let's say Kevin, you and I are doing a scene together and you say something that I didn't expect, that's fine. But if, if I fight against it, I ruin the scene, it just falls apart. Well, no matter what you do, no matter what you say, it's considered what we call an offer. It's just an offer. It's like you submit, you, you put out into the world, into the universe right now, you said this idea, this concept, whatever, I accept it. Hey, I, I may have chosen, but I accept it. And then I build on top of that. Okay, you gave me something. What now can I do with it? And so uh, the, the, the quick thing I'll tell you right now, just this, is, this has just changed my whole approach. I'm going to tell you right now, my, my standard business for my going out to meetings and conferences amidst this virus thing, you know, it's gone. gone like it's, yeah. I mean, at least for the next three months, it's, it's not like I can get a little bit of business. Like people won't even, people, you walk too close to the grocery store and they, they freak right. out, right? So, so one of the things I started to do is I said, you know what, I, and, and then client after client saying, hey, we're letting people go. We're, we're, you know, we, have, we have no training budget. Okay, fine. Yep. They, have, they have no discretionary budget. So basically I have nothing. So here's what I did, um, partially inspired by uh, a recent sermon by, by one of our pastors that basically said, we always think about helping other people, neighbors and that sort of thing. Well, how can you help even within business? So I had two all-ready-to-go programs that I'll even say right now, if someone wants is interested for their company, I'll, I'll do it. I have a program called Virtual Magic, how to present really well uh, online. I have a whole program on that. And I'm also my unflappable. Um, I'm calling up every client I've ever had, every prospect saying, my parents raised me to help other folks out. Uh, we're in a difficult time. I'd like to offer you these two webinars free of charge, or dare I say, I'm waiving my fee. And... Um, how would you, if you want to use it, great. And some have jumped on it. They said, this is a godsend. Others have said, hey, we're, we're too busy treading water or whatever. But I feel like I'm able to give. And, 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 and this wasn't the purpose. But already, um, uh, just through a friend of a friend, I just was offering it to her. She, I'd, I'd given her um, some stuff back in the day. She works at a, a huge Fortune 500 company. And she said, oh, my gosh, Steve, this would be the greatest thing ever. And I'm going to do a program for them. And she said, hey, I very like, basically the implication is, if this goes well, you may have just gotten into our organization yeah. now. Yeah. Again, the whole point is I can sit here, I can be bummed out, I can get mad at the virus, and I and I, I was despondent for a good week. I'm not going to lie to you; it was sure. it was very tough. Of the course, first yeah, time was shutting down. Um, the main thing is I'm going to lose all my status on my on my Marriott and my uh, my Southwest <laughs> American Airlines, Airlines or something. Uh, That's exactly. got to be A list preferred. <laughs> yeah. Right. So I may have to sit back with the cattle. In the back. Oh my gosh! And, and to wait to board with everyone else—it's horrible. No, so um, but 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 those kinds of ideas of taking those gifts or taking those those mistakes, and turning them into gifts, and then accepting and building, no matter what, no matter kind of what happens. Right. It doesn't mean I'm. And please, you're not Pollyannish, like okay, sure. you know, right. we can save the orphanage. Great. Yeah, yeah, you can still be bummed out, but you say, okay, what you know? I mean, if the truth be told, um some of the greatest things have been invented out of a mistake. Like for instance, nachos came out through a mistake, Toll House cookies, Buffalo Wild Wings, um, the Slinky. I mean, just how much time do you have? I mean, there's some amazing things that have come because someone said, okay, that's not what we would have wanted to have happen, but now what can we do with it? And so yeah. that's really, I think any entrepreneur who can do that, you'll be good to go and, uh, and you'll be ready to rock and roll. The old Irma Bombeck, you know, you life gives you lemons, you make lemonade type thing. Uh, you know, what what can I love the idea of, of of accepting the reality and then okay, what can you build from here? I mean, this it's almost exactly. like okay, let's let's take stock of where we are, what we have, the resources we have, the opportunities we have right now, and it, this is a great time for business owners to do that. And um, I just I really appreciate just the the whole tenor of the conversation and and just 
Um, I mean, I, it's been great picking your brain and, and just really hearing your story and hearing the way that, that uh, you know, just walk through kind of the ebbs and flows of, of being a freelancer or being on, out on your own, so to speak, you know, for a number of years and how you've made a yeah. go at, at that and, you know, just the highs and the lows and, and really appreciate you kind of drilling down and speaking to business owners in, in this time that, that is a real crisis yeah. for them. Is there anything that you just want to close us with that I have not touched on? Just a, a final thought and then tell people where's the, where the best place to find you online. Yes. Oh, it's funny. I should have uh, grabbed it. Do I have it right here? I'm not sure if I do. Um, yeah. So, uh, so you can find me online at hityourstride.com. It's a running term. Uh, in fact, um, it's not, that's the main thing. And I also wrote a book. I just don't have it in front of me. I can't believe I don't have a copy of it here somewhere. But uh, I wrote a book called Captivate, which is basically – how do you how do you captivate an audience and um and it's i always say to people if you like me live you'll love me on paper uh kind of thing and it's certainly available through amazon etc um but uh you know it's it's uh, every day is 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 may not be super fun but i think with the, the right kind of attitudes um i think you're right it may be a scary time for entrepreneurs right now but it's also a, a very intriguing time for for what can lay ahead if we're ready to kind of lean into it Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you for, for just leading with vision and, and kind of wrapping us up today on kind of an upswing. You, you had our vision hockey stick pointing up and to the right a little bit as, as, we're, as we're closing out today. But Steve, thanks again for just taking your time today. And, and uh, this, this, you know, Good Friday right before Easter and just giving us kind of hope in the midst of this, the crisis that we're facing that, that one day we will be through. And just thank you again for helping all boats rise in a rising tide. Steve, have a great day. Happy to do it. Appreciate it, Kevin. Another episode in the books. We hope you heard some great takeaways. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review on iTunes and YouTube. As always, thanks for listening to Rising Tide.